good, good, good. Good morning, good morning, good morning, friends. If you will, grab a seat and grab your Bible. Grab your Bible. Uh, We will be in Exodus chapter 2 this morning. We are in week 7 of our 9, probably more like 10-month journey through the Bible. We're calling it a field guide to the Bible. Because we want to give to this body, to this family, a resource over the course of these months to be able to navigate Scripture for yourself. Yes, what we do here on Sunday is very, 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 very important. But... What you do Monday through Saturday is more important than what happens in this room on Sunday. So we want to equip one another to be able to study the Bible for ourselves. And we have a couple resources for you. The first thing is, I mentioned, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Exodus chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible or want to follow along in one of our Bibles, just raise your hand. And one of our ushers will bring to you one of our worship Bibles. The page numbers will be on the screen. We're not going to put the text on there because I want you in your own Bible in, in our time together. So if you don't have one, raise your hand. Our ushers will bring you a Bible. Have you heard the phrase, God loves you just the way you are? Have you heard that phrase? That's a true phrase. God does love you just the way you are. But there's a second part to that phrase we often uh, skip or ignore or forget about. And here it is. God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay that way. You might want to jot that down in your notes this morning. God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay that way. Jesus says, for God so loved the, what's that word, church? World that he gave his one and only son. Listen, you can't love any more than that. And yet, what does Jesus do throughout the rest of his ministry? God loves you just the way you are, but follow me. Don't stay where you are. Don't continue down the path you are going. Don't stay stuck in the unforgiveness or the sin or the greed or the frustration or the fear. Follow me. The rest of Jesus' ministry is God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to stay that way. So he invites us on a journey of consistent growth, of following him along the way. Because Jesus is not content to leave you where you are. He wants us to move, grow, and go. And this makes sense. Um, just show of hands. How many of you are parents? Anyone in here parents? Okay. Um, you don't have to have kids at home right now to still remember the war years. You remember the war years, right? Those are the years that you just felt like you were going to war every day. Not necessarily with your kids, but certainly for your kids. So every morning you have school. So you get up before dawn. You're in there. You wake them up. All right, get up. Get moving. It's time to get dressed. Brush your teeth. Woo, brush them again. Come on downstairs. Eat your food. Eat faster, faster, faster. Okay, we'll pray on the way to the bus. You get to the bus. They go to school. Then they come home. You pick them up. Then it's hurry, hurry, hurry. We got to eat. Do your homework. Do it faster. Do it faster. Get dressed for bed. Get your jams on. Go ready. Whoa, whoa. You got to keep moving. By the way, do any of you, my kids aren't here this morning, so I will out them. How many of you have at least one child who has never heard of keeping on time? Anyone? God bless them. God bless them. I mean, they will be late to their own funerals and that. Okay, fine. But God's goal is for you and I to keep moving from now until we get to heaven. That we never stay stuck where we are, but we continue to move. Moving is so important. God knows that you and I 
are loved where we are, but he loves us too much to let us stay right there. And God has been in the business of moving people from the very beginning. Let's go back to our big check mark, the story of the history of the Bible. The story is all about God moving people from one place to another. So over the past couple weeks, we looked at Abraham and then Joseph. So God comes to Abraham and what does he do? He calls him from his home, from what's familiar in the city of Ur, all the way to his new home of Canaan. And then once there, generations pass and now Joseph and eventually his extended family all are moved from Canaan to Egypt. In other words, God is not content with leaving us where we are. And in Egypt... They flourish. They grow into a mighty, big nation. So much so that the Pharaoh gets nervous and he begins to wonder and worry. Will they overthrow? Will they fight back? And so he enslaves the people. And this continues for generations and generations. So if you want to write down the period and the place on your notes, the period is the Exodus and the place is Egypt. The period is Exodus and the place is Egypt. Now, for the visual learners among us, I want to show you a map. Here is to set the stage of where the entire story of the Exodus will take place. And this is where we find Israel in Exodus chapter 1 as slaves. Now, friends, slavery is tragic. But do you know what is even more tragic than being a slave? It's being a slave who's become comfortable in their slavery. And that was the case for Israel. Yes, it was painful. Yes, it was difficult. But they had become comfortable and complacent. They had opportunities to rise up, to rebel, and yet they didn't because their fear was as bad as this is. And it's really, 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 really bad. But as bad as this is, if we leave, how much worse might it be elsewhere? You say, Josh, I don't see that in the text. Okay, question. When things get bad in the wilderness, what do they say to Moses? Why did we ever leave? At least we had these things in Egypt. In other words... The worst thing is not being a slave, but becoming comfortable in our slavery. And so they don't move. It's like the old ladies that Woody Allen talks about that he overheard talking in a restaurant. One lady says, the food here is terrible. And the other woman says, yes. And they are such small portions as well. I was like, really? It's bad, so you want more of it? But we get that way, don't we? And so we come to the story here, to the slavery moment. Israel continues to grow under their slavery. So Pharaoh has all the Jewish boys, two years old and younger, killed. He has them thrown into the Nile where they will drown. And that is where we pick up the story in Exodus chapter 2. This is page 48 in the worship Bibles. Beginning in verse 1, it says this. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him, coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slaves to get it. She opened it and saw the baby and he was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. 
So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Isn't that cool that the mom sets the child into the river, hoping that maybe Moses will survive. And yet by God's grace, she gets to raise her own son. By the way, the period of weaning, of being the one to raise the child in their youngest age was not a few months, but it would be up to about four years. For four years, Moses' mama gets to raise him and speak to him of the God who loves him, even though they are enslaved. It goes on. Verse 9. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So she's being paid to take care of her own kid, mamas. How many of you say, that sounds like a really good deal. Someone pays me to take care of my kids. I love it. It goes on. Verse 10. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses saying, I drew him out of the water. So like Moses before, excuse me, like Noah before him, Moses is saved through the water. This becomes a picture of baptism later on. Moses is rescued by the princess and raised in a palace. Now he's told early on who he is. Don't believe the movies. When you see that scene in the movie, real dramatic moment. Moses, he's a teenager, he's an adult, and he all of a sudden is told, Moses, you are really a Hebrew. I am? He already knew it. He never didn't know it, but he stayed in the palace. Why? Because he was comfortable. It was familiar. It's what he had known since he was just a little kid. And it's an amazing thing that he would live there and he would stay there. And he is not going to leave until in chapter 2, verse 15, a series of events occur that God allows to take place, thus getting Moses moving. Now hear me now. It's not because Moses is a coward. It's because Moses is comfortable. Here's point number one, five points from the Exodus I want you to see. Point number one is simply this. We all need to be set free. We all need to be set free. Now, I know in America that is anathema. We don't want to hear someone say, you need to be set free. Why? I'm my own boss. I'm free. I do what I want. I go where I want. I act how I want. But every one of us is a slave to something. The Israelites were in pain. Moses was in a palace. They all We're in Egypt. So whether you're in pain this morning and a slave to pain, fear, addiction, a problem, a situation, or you are here this morning and because of God's great kindness, you have enjoyed luxuries, good relationships. How many of us know that if we lost those things, we would be lost ourselves? Why? You can be in a pleasurable place and still a slave to it. We all need to be set free. And so... God forces Moses onto the road and he moves from Egypt down to Midian. And he gets moving there. This is a great scene. I love the scene. This is one of those scenes that rarely gets uh, put into the movies, but it should because it is awesome. Moses, he is not a coward. He comes into Midian and he comes across a group of young ladies who are being attacked by Arab tribesmen. Moses doesn't wait for reinforcements. Moses doesn't get a posse and go attack. What does he do? He jumps in and he starts taking them out. And he sends them to flight. This is such a cool story. Then one of the daughters, one of these girls, she runs home to her daddy and says, daddy, you'll never meet it. Believe it. I met this guy. He saved us. And the dad thinks I've just met my son-in-law. Fantastic. And so they become one. By the way, fellas, if you want a great engagement story, might I recommend this one? Okay. How'd you meet? Well, I took on a gang of bikers and I saved my wife to be. It's like the rest of us guys were like, how'd you meet? I met her at a Starbucks. It's not as impressive. Okay. So they meet. He becomes this husband with his wife. So what is he going to do now? He stays. He gets comfortable. He tends sheep in the desert. 
How long? A couple of years? No. Decades. And God lets them. For one decade, then two, then three, until finally comes the time where God says, it's time to get moving. And so God does something incredible. He lights a bush on fire. The thing that's incredible, it's not that it's on fire, it's that it doesn't burn up. In the wilderness, it gets hot. It's not uncommon for dry brush to burn. What's uncommon is for it to stay lit. And Moses turns to see what is going on. And from the bush comes a voice says, take off your sandals for where you are is holy ground. This is one of the first moments that the voice of God comes. And you hear the rumble in the soil of the ground and in the sky around Moses. And he hears the presence of Yahweh. And he falls down. And in this conversation, he says, so who are you? A fair question. Remember, he's been surrounded by the gods of Egypt his whole life. He's heard about Yahweh, but he's never heard Yahweh. And God, I love this. I love this. Don't you love that our God is a personal God? He doesn't say, who are you to ask who I am? He goes, no, no, let me tell you my name. He goes, my name is I am. That's what Yahweh means. I am. It's like, what? I am? What does that mean? I am. I, I always was. I am. I always will be. That's a pretty good name for God, don't you think? Yeah. The I am. And so he tells him his name, and then he says, I'm going to give you a very important job. I want you to go back to Egypt and give Pharaoh a word from me. And it's a very specific word. By the way, how many of you remember Charlton Heston, a.k.a. Moses? Anyone in here remember? Okay, I see enough gray here. Some of you have to remember. Anyone else in here remember it? Thank you. I appreciate that. You honest people. I love it. I love it. Okay. What is the thing that he is supposed to say to Pharaoh? Let my people, what is it? Go. That's not the whole message, is it? That's the part we remember. That's not the whole message. But, well, okay, here's the rest of the message. Go to chapter 4. This is on page 50 of your uh, pew Bibles or your worship Bibles. Chapter 4, verse 22. Notice what it says. Then, God says this, Then say to Pharaoh, This is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go. Why? So he may worship me. Point number two, write this down. Freedom has a purpose. Freedom has a purpose. The story of the Exodus teaches us that all of us need to be set free, but the freedom that we are set free into has a purpose. We're not simply set free to do whatever we want. We are set free on purpose and for a purpose. And that purpose is to worship God. Worship means worth-ship. It's to give God all the worth, all of the glory, to say, you are bigger, you're more powerful, you are greater than everything, all of me to all of you. That is the purpose of every person's freedom in history. Our purpose was not to build a great business, although that's fine. Our purpose is not to have great relationships, although that's good. Our purpose is not to raise children or be the best on the sports team. Our purpose is to worship God. And there is no greater purpose. If you succeed in sports, but you fail at worship, you failed at life. If you succeed in raising a family, but you fail at worship, you have failed at life. If you succeed in building a great business or a great name or a great income, but you fail at worship, giving God his worth, then you have failed at life. Freedom, church, hear me now, has a purpose. Israel is set free to worship God. By the way, interestingly, the first people who came to America did so for the freedom to do what? Worship God. Maybe our nation would look a little different if we returned to the purpose for which we were freed. Now, it goes on. Moses then, at 80 years old, God sends Moses back to Egypt to take on Pharaoh. Now, by the way, this is awesome. 80 years old, 
Like I'm 41, almost 42, and I am like, mm, nope, too, too late, too done. That's for like the 20-year-olds. Notice this though, God does not always caught the young, fit, and the ready. He picks those who he chooses. And until you are pushing up daisies six feet under, until that moment comes, God has a purpose for you. Please do not get stagnant in your faith or sit still thinking you're done. So long as you are alive, you have a purpose from God to save souls, to set people free in the name of Jesus Christ. And so he sends him back and he says, I got a job for you, Moses. And this isn't just Moses' story. It's our story because God isn't content with you or me becoming stagnant. God isn't going to let Israel stagnate in Egypt. So he does battle with Egyptians, false, Egypt's false gods. See, Egypt worshiped a series of gods. And all of these gods were represented actually in the 10 plagues. You know, the 10 plagues, right? We see them in the movies. But the thing that the 10, movie, or that the 10 plagues show or don't show in the movies, rather, is what the purpose of the plagues are for. We just go, wow, that's cool. No, 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 no. Here's why. Egypt worships various gods who had dominion over different places. So for instance, Egypt worships the Nile. So what does God do? Turns into blood. He just bled out the God of the Nile. That's what's happening there. It's battle. Uh, so Egypt worships cows. So what does God do? Put sores on them. I know it's strange, but he does it. He puts sores on them. Uh, They worship frogs. So what does he do? He gives them more frogs than they would be able to handle. They worship the sun. So God blots out the sun over and over and over. God is doing battle with the gods of Egypt saying there's only one God who has power to set you free and to give you purpose in life. Friend, we do not worship the God of the frog, but we do worship another green God. It's money. And you will never be set free if you worship that. Many of us, we don't worship cows, but we absolutely worship our stomachs and what we fill it with. You will never be satisfied if you worship a God other than for Yahweh himself. For you are designed to be filled by him and led by him and loved by him and to love him back. And so God tears apart the social structure of Egypt to get Israel moving. And here's point number three. If you would write this down. All slavery is in part spiritual. All slavery is in part spiritual. Here's what I mean. What would it take or what would it cause or what would possess a person to enslave another human being to say, I am of greater value and you are nothing more than property? What would possess, are you hearing the question? What would possess a person, the answer's in the question, what would possess a person to treat another person this way? All slavery is in part spiritual. What does the Apostle Paul say? For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but he goes on to say, against the spiritual powers of the heavenly realms, meaning the dark forces that are opposed to God. That's why God takes out the spiritual gods of Egypt. We're going to get into this in the summer. We're going to talk about Satan. We're going to talk about the demons. And I want you to understand one thing. The gods of the Old Testament were not false little idols. Yes, they were idols. They weren't real gods. But behind them stood very real demonic powers. And so God, he comes and he pushes them out. So anytime you see someone enslaved to an addiction, that is a spiritual problem, not just a physical problem. Every time you see someone who is fighting or warring against their spouse instead of being reunited, that is a spiritual problem. It's not just a physical problem. Do you understand how this works? And some of us are seeking physical solutions to spiritual problems. It is only through the power of God seeking him that many of us will find liberation in the things that have enslaved us. And so God isn't done moving them. 
He parts the waters of the Red Sea. He leads them out. By the way, this becomes a picture for baptism, like what we saw this morning with our sweet sister Lila, that she went from Egypt, from slavery, from sin, from death, into life through Jesus Christ. That he creates this picture of passing through the water. It's a marker, a moment where we experience the liberating power of our God through Jesus' sacrifice. So he brings them through the Red Sea, leads them out of slavery. They pass through the water. And then they've been set free, but they now need to learn how to live free. And so God takes them from Egypt all the way down to Sinai, to the mountain of God. And it's this incredible scene. So God moves them to Sinai. And the mountain is shaking and rumbling and tumbling. And there's lightning and there's thunder. And the people are freaked out. And so God stops all the noise and says, Moses, come on up here. Moses comes up. God gives him 10 commandments. And while Moses is hanging out with God, what are the people doing? They forgot why they're there. Like they are the worst ADHD group of people you've ever met. Why? They're worshiping a golden cow by the time Moses comes down. It's like, really? And so Moses comes down and Moses becomes in one moment the most wicked man in the Bible because he breaks all 10 commandments at the same time. It's in the Bible. Just look it up. He drops them, they break, right? What does God do? God says, all right, I'm going to punch him. He punches him. Then God says, come on up here. Brings Moses back up. He writes down the Ten Commandments again. But then God says, you know, that whole cow thing, I think we need a few rules to go around here. Like, don't worship a cow. And so by the time they're done, they go from 10 rules to 613 laws. And it's like God is looking at him. He's like, hey, children of Israel. Yeah, children, if you're in my house, you're going to follow some of my rules. Mamas and daddies, how many of us know that if your kids are going to stay at home, they got to follow the rules? And we're going to stay in the family of God. And by the way, I want to be real careful here. You are not saved by works. Don't hear me say that. And you're not in the family because you get everything right or don't. But hear me, God's heart is that you and I would become more like him. In other words, they've been slaves for generations. They have been set free. But point number four, write this down. Freed people must be taught how to live free. You may be set free, but we must be taught how to live free. How many of us know what I'm talking about here? You may be saved, but there are patterns and habits and ways of thinking and being that need to be washed out, need to be changed, need to be conformed. So you are as saved now as you will ever be. But how many of us know that we still have a lot of growing to become like Jesus? Freed people must be taught how to live free. See, this is, this is very important. Our culture, as soon as you hear about the laws, right? Our culture says, that is so oppressive that God would tell you what to do. What a mean, what a oppressive God. 613 laws. He is so over the top. Friends, that is not oppression. That is love. How many of you love your kids enough to give them a few rules around the house like don't play in the streets? Is it because you hate your kid? No. It's because you love them and you have called them. They are yours and you want them to live well. It is not oppression. See, we have this broken view of what freedom is. Here's what most people think freedom is. Most people think that freedom is getting to do whatever I want. Oh, then I will be free. So let's just talk about this. A fish out of water, is it free? Yeah, for like three seconds, and then it's not free anymore. A tree out of soil, is it free? Nope, it's going to die. 
A kid who plays in the street. Is it free? No, not free because danger will take them out. In other words, what we see is freedom always has a purpose behind it. That God sets us free, but then he has to direct us and we do not naturally know how to do this. One of my favorite examples, there's a video. I'm not going to show it to you. You'll understand why in a moment. But there's a video that was making the rounds on social media a while back. And it's a great picture. It's in a church, uh, a very good church, but a very traditional church. And there's the preacher there. He's buttoned up. He's got the three-piece suit. He looks sharp. And in the baptistry is this guy who doesn't look like a church guy. He comes in and he is like just this, he's a hulk of a man. He's covered head to toe in tattoos. I mean, he just looks like if he looked at you, you might die. That kind of guy, you know what I'm talking about? And the preacher, I love this. He's got the microphone and he looks to the gentleman. And he says, so why do you feel like you need to be saved by Jesus Christ? And he puts it in the guy's face and the guy goes, well, because I really was a piece of beep. I'm not gonna say it. The whole church goes, ah! you can hear it in the video. And the funny part was not his phrase. The funny part was the preacher goes, clearly. And that was it. Now, now here's my point. He was about to be freed from sin. But there's some growing to do, wasn't there? And by the way, I just need to say this to some of us in the room. Some of you are offended that I would mention that story. And you're more offended by the story than the fact that a man was being saved. Is it possible that we need to be set free and we need to learn to live free? where we focus on the people who are taking steps with Jesus instead of the imperfections along the way. And I just think if God gets my heart, if he sets me free and if he gets my heart, guess what? He will get my words. If he gets my heart, he will get my wallet. If he gets my heart, he'll get my eyes. If he gets my heart, then eventually the things that have captivated my soul will be changed. See, we are set free, but we must then learn to live free. This is why church is a team sport. We are saved by Jesus, but placed into a church community, a family, because it's in family we learn what it means to live well and to live right. Can I get an oh yeah from anyone who agrees this morning? And so they have to be set free. One of my favorite examples of this was from the great movie, The Shawshank Redemption. There's a scene with Morgan Freeman and he plays a character named Red who has been in prison for 40 years and he finally gets set free and you may know the movie. He's become a bag boy because that's the only job he can really get in the circumstance that he has found himself. And there in the supermarket, he asks his boss for permission to go use the restroom and his boss says, you don't have to ask every time you need to go use the bathroom. And then there's this moment where in, in the way that only Morgan Freeman can do like, okay, I would love it if I could get Morgan Freeman to come to my bedroom at night and just like read stories to me as I'm trying to go to sleep. That voice would be amazing. So in this great voiceover, he says these words and he says, for 40 years, I've been asking permission to do everything. All I do anymore is think of ways to break my parole. So maybe they'd send me back because all I want is to be back where things make sense. You may be set free, but every one of us must learn to live free. That's the fourth thing that the Exodus story shows us. And then very quickly, point number five, God has strict rules along the way. And one of those rules is simply this, keep moving. Exodus chapter 33 and verse one says this, Exodus 33 and one, I'll let you get there. Exodus 33, one says, then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people. You brought up out of Egypt and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob saying, I will give it to your descendants. Here's point number five. If you want to write this down, point number five, we cannot be free and stay where we are. We cannot be free 
and stay where we are. You are either growing in faith or dropping and dying in faith. We cannot stay where we are. We cannot be free and be stuck in unforgiveness. You, you can't. You can't be free and still hold on to the slights of the past. Now, I'm not saying that you need to be reconciled with certain people. There are certain circumstances that that is not possible. But to hold on to unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person gets sick. We cannot be free and stay in unforgiveness. We cannot stay where we are in our negativity, in our stinking thinking. We cannot move with God without growing more generous. We cannot follow God and hold on to our pet sins and our private sins. Because free people move. In other words, God loves you just the way you are. But he loves you too much to let you stay that way. Let's pray together. With every head bowed and every eye closed, take a quick moment and consider the question. Where's God moving you this morning? Is he moving you to say yes to Jesus in baptism like our sweet sister Lila? To go from Egypt into salvation. Or maybe you're already saved and he's just saying, you know, you've been watching on the sidelines for a long time. It's time to move into service. Or it's time to move into generosity. Or to move into being a part of a family. You could do that today. To find the next step of freedom along the way to learn how to live freer each day. Or is he moving you to forgive someone who has hurt you for that family member that has just broken your heart one too many times? Is he calling you to confess a sin? To get real with someone that you trust to say, this is where I am. This is what I need. I am still in Egypt in so many ways. Where is God moving you today? See, what I know about the God of the Bible and what we see in this beautiful, beautiful story is that God comes to each of us in a personal, powerful way and he will lead us to where he needs us to go. Father, every heart is open to you now. We pray that you will please meet us that you'll speak to us, show us what we need for this next step in the journey. For those who need salvation, I pray that you will speak to them now, that they will meet me in the lobby, that we will talk about their next steps. For those who need to come into the faith or into the family or into service or into generosity, would you now give them the courage to come and find someone in the lobby to say, yes, I'm ready. And if they need to confess a sin, may they find a sibling, a brother or sister and say, this is where I'm at, this is what I need help with. Pray for me, labor with me that I may be set free from this. Father, for those in here who are just walking wounded, would you please free them? Would you remind them that Israel was set free, but they did not walk into freedom by themselves. You were with them every step of the way. May we remember that this morning. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray this. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing.